Train Shuffling is brought to you by Midgard Hobbies and Games, our friendly local game store located in Derry, New Hampshire, and by Luxury Playstyle, maker of fine metal gaming accessories. Visit LuxPlay.com and use promo code LUXINFORMANT for 15% off. And most importantly, by our patrons. If you'd like to buy a few shares of Train Shuffling, visit Patreon.com slash Train Shuffling. Enjoy the show! Hey everyone, welcome to Train Shuffling. I'm Johnny Hollander. I'm Eric Hyden. We're your hosts. Again. <laughs> Again, it turns out we still are. We're here. Welcome to the 20th episode of Train Shuffling. Um, we got a very special one for you in store. We're going to go through some of our normal round sequences, whatever the correct word for that is. Uh, and then uh, for our main topic, we're going to be uh, playing back an interview we recorded just earlier with uh, Jeroen Dauman of Splatter Spellin. Uh, talking with him about his experiences with an 18xx and and uh, some of how it's influenced his design work for his games in, uh, in at Splatter. So, looking forward to you hearing that. Uh, I guess without further ado, let's get straight to receiving starting capital. All right, we had three new patrons since last time: Mike Anastasia. Hopefully, I'm pronouncing that right. Chris Whitpan and Mister John Kanog. So. Thank you, guys. As always, we appreciate all the support. Yeah, you may recognize, you know, listeners will likely recognize Chris, the co-host of Wheel Tapping. We appreciate the support, Chris. He's also, I know, I was listening to an episode of Derailed, and he snuck in there, Patreon as well. So good on you, Chris, for supporting the community. Uh, let's move straight through to private auction. Do we have any corrections that we received? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe we should just delete this section because I think we're nearly perfect <laughs> yes let's say that out loud and <laughs> we no make... longer need private auctions yeah uh no i don't i don't honestly i don't remember what our last episode was about so i don't know if we have any corrections that's interesting uh the last episode was about bankruptcy oh um, right so i'm sure that we said lots of wrong things that's true we'll have to correct them on the next episode i think the only um <laughs> the only contact we got um since then was a new voicemail uh, and it was a, f- a final courtesy call before they closed out our file. I, I saw that yeah. <laughs> on our Google voicemail. So since the last episode we recorded, we have uh, released a new t-shirt. Uh, it is silly. It's on our bonfire store. So bonfire.com slash store slash train shuffling uh, link will be in the show notes. So yeah, the, the it'll be in the store there, and it's it ain't over till the bank breaks. I think so. Had some fun with that. Also worth noting, our Patreon link has finally moved. We used to be at Patreon.com/slash/meekinformant. You will likely have heard that in our recordings in the past. We finally moved it to Patreon.com/slash/trainshuffling. So the old one will still redirect you to to that. But if you are looking to support the podcast, just Patreon.com/slash/trainshuffling. It's a little easier for you to remember. And coincidentally, for those that don't know, that came from our first podcast that we started. And right, like, I think a couple days after we made the change. So we didn't do it because of this. But um, right after we we made this decision to remove all of the Meek Informant branding, the game that we started the podcast about was officially canceled. We're pretty sure we caused the death of Legend of the Five Rings. Yeah, (laughs) it was our fault. I feel really bad about it because our... Our good friend and co-host Nick was uh, devastated by the news. So if we caused it in any way, I feel a little bit bad about that. 
Yes, sure. I'm sure we we totally are responsible, <laughs> and we don't have over inflated senses of ego. <laughs> okay, so let's move on to our initial stock round. That's where we're going to talk about our listener questions. And we did have a question from last last time, and the question was, "What is your elevator pitch for 18xx?" And we got back some silly answers. Uh, you want to start off, Johnny? Sure. Uh, Mike Anastasia says. 18xx games are cool because they're games within games. You're playing a stock market game, and on your turn you can buy or sell shares of companies that are themselves taking turns in a route-building game that determines how the money moves around in the stock market game you're playing. Okay, so then uh, Kyle said, 18xx is no luck, no hidden information, very high player interaction, more than two player, and the good games have enough depth of strategy and things to explore that people will be playing the same game hundreds of times and still see the new, see new things regularly. And Randy says, 18xx is like a euro with spreadsheets, direct player interaction, fiddly rules, and lots of math. Come on, you'll love it. It's basically the same game as Carcassonne. <laughs> I wonder how many people he's roped in with that one. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure that's <laughs> all terribly serious. Um, and then Dan, Dan said, 18xx, it's Monopoly for sadomasochists. <laughs> Perfect. That's going to get him in. So so we're going to try and contribute here. Johnny's got a slightly uh, liberal definition of a of a uh, elevator pitch. He's going to give his his slightly longer version of, of what he thinks is uh, an elevator pitch that might, might get people interested in. I, I just want to say, before you do yours, I did not prepare one of these. So I'm going to do it off the cuff uh, as if I'm actually in an elevator and not walking around with a script in my head. And I'm sure it'll be significantly less thoughtful than yours go do you want to do yours first or after no, no. <laughs> i want to i want to have the pressure mounting <laughs> okay so any and so my elevators is going up to the 50th floor so we've got some time i thought it was interesting that nobody i mean i find theme not necessarily in 18x specifically but just in general to be pretty important i thought it was interesting that not a single one of the responses we got mentions trains or railroads at all that's funny i hadn't noticed yeah. that <laughs> so um so my pitch is more on the serious side of like obviously i don't think i would be able to say this you know word for word if somebody asked me on the spot but but this is the things that i thought if i told somebody about that without getting too into the nitty-gritty that might get them interested in playing so here we go 18xx games are railroad themed economic strategy games they have zero luck so if you're competitive and prefer playing the other players versus playing the game it's the perfect genre beyond that there's infinite replayability due to high levels of strategic depth and the game being completely driven by player interaction so unlike most games that fizzle out after 10 or so plays these will keep you coming back for more for hundreds slash thousands of plays the games themselves are about balancing the interaction between a variable stock market and the operation of railroad companies in which you are investing. You play as both an investor and possibly a director, managing the actions of the companies in which you own a plurality of shares. This gives rise to the unique aspect that your actions will often impact you and the other players, making the best plays often non-obvious and unintuitive. The games within the genre vary from more operational, where the focus is more on building a successful company with profitable roots, to financial where the focus is more on investing and managing company assets and liabilities, although all 18xx have both aspects to varying degrees. Another great thing about these games is that once you learn one, it's easy to simply learn the differences to play another, and with hundreds of titles out there, there's an 18xx for everyone, making it well worth the initial investment to learn the system. 
Uh, and then where do I sign a contract to to sign up? <laughs> I don't know. Was that good? Where's I, your pamphlet? I, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we should make a pamphlet and just hand it out to people. <laughs> um, so, I mean, granted, in, in terms of elevator pitches, that was, you know, it was longer than 30 seconds. Would that take me a minute uh, to say all that? Uh, yeah, um, we, I don't know. So, I mean, it was a little verbose, but it wasn't incredibly long. But, I mean, is that... If you heard that, does that give you enough or too much or, or, or the wrong information? What is, how do you feel about that oh, I pitch? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, it, it, it was a little formal, but that's because you wrote it down, right, I think? Right. The You hit on a lot of the stuff that keeps me coming back for him. Playing the other players, a lot of depth to the games, uh, the system where you can try out different titles once you're sort of in it. Yeah. It's really hard to, like, come to come in with an outside perspective being a, you know, quote unquote insider. Yeah. Um, because it's so easy to get us interested in playing an 18XX game. Cause we already love the genre. Yeah. We're pushovers, but I've, I've actually struggled a lot to get the other group that I play with. They, they play some heavy euros, but they play more of more lighter games. And, um, basically my strategy has just been to bring the, the genre up every time we play other games, but not ask them to play it. But talk about it so much that some of them have finally said, you know what, maybe some, maybe we should try one of these sometime. Right. <laughs> but I haven't come up with like the perfect way to get somebody in 30 seconds interested and be like, okay, put it on the table. Yeah, me neither. I don't know what, um, all right, so let's see. I'm in an elevator. Let's get yours. And then, and it's a, <laughs> I guess what's the context? Uh, someone in the elevator is like, hey, what's an 18xx game? Uh, so 18xx games are, uh, they're, they're railroad themed games where you are pretending to be uh, a rail baron from the 1800s, and that's where the name comes from. They're all set in the 1800s. And you invest, you buy shares. So there's a little stock market and you buy shares in a company. And once you have the most shares of a company, you, you own it and you get to operate it. And that means you get to buy trains for it and plan its routes and lay track for it. And you try and run your trains to make the most money. Um, everyone else is able to buy shares in your company too, though. And so when you decide, you know, if your company's making a lot of money, they're all going to get a cut of it. And so there's a lot of shared incentives, which are really interesting in the games. Um, sometimes when you're doing well, other people are leeching off of you and doing well because of that. A lot of games let you sell shares and dump companies onto other players when they don't want them because they need trains. And sometimes trains cost a lot of money and they company the company might not have the money to buy the trains. And so it can get them into trouble. Um and the basic framework of the game is pretty easy to learn up front, but there's a lot of strategy that you learn over many, many plays. So you can play one one title hundreds of times and keep seeing new things. Yeah, that's my pitch. Cool. It was good. Thanks. I think that was especially off the cuff. It was, uh, especially the start of it was excellent. I think getting into like company dumps and stuff is a little, um, a little, too much detail for somebody who doesn't know anything about the games, but um, I could not have done a better off-the-cuff description of the genre. Well, thanks. Yeah, I don't know. Sometimes I feel like that that kind of detail would have gotten me interested, but I'm again, I'm I'm a person who knows more about it than than the average person at this point. So I think that's the toughest part. Is like in our eyes, knowing what a company dump is that is a very very exciting moment in any game where it can happen, especially when you get to be the one doing it. Yeah. But if you tell somebody you can dump companies on somebody else, it's like, okay, what, what does that mean? Yeah, try to, <laughs> try to give context. Okay. So, oh, I guess we forgot to give, uh, have, have your own, give us this elevator pitch. Oh, yeah. Damn. 
Oh, spoiler alert. All right. Uh, so let's move on to our laying track, 18xx news. Uh, 1861-67 is being fulfilled, as well as uh, 1840 Vienna and uh, all the Wave 2 games from AAG, which is 49, 82 New England, and 22MX. Uh, and Rolling Stocks ours, I guess, have you got that? So, yeah, we got ours. I, I got mine. You got yours, right, Johnny? Yeah, I so I... I opened the pack, the like the shipping box for the AAG games, and I've not yet opened the 1861-67 packing box. I have opened and stickered and organized all of my AAG games, but I didn't. I don't have any uh, of the other ones coming this way. I also got Mini Express in the other day. Oh, cool! I don't really know anything about. I blindly backed it just because I I love um, Mini Rails. Mini Rails. Yeah. So I just blindly backed this one, and I have no idea what it is. Cool. So uh, just a little bit more news, uh, Wave 4 pre-orders end on February 28th. If you care about that, uh, it's uh, 22CA, 37 Hearts Bond, 1873, and 18 USA. Uh, that's in four days as of this recording, which means that we'll probably drop this podcast right as they're closed. Did you put your order in? I put my order for 22CA in, yeah. You did not get 18 USA? Not yet. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm not sure about it because uh, I've got 17 and Figured I'll want to play that a bunch before I try USA. And uh, uh, are you getting USA? I am. I, I ordered thirty-seven seventy-three in USA. Um, I have not even opened seventeen. It's still in the shrink, so it's hard to justify getting eighteen USA. But I did it anyways because I've heard good things. Yeah. I, I mean, I know that you know. In theory, justifying any eighteen XX purchase after you know 1830 could could be you know anybody could say that you can't justify it because you could play that hundreds of times before you need a new one so you don't really need a justification to buy new games but that being said i do have some fear of missing out i've heard good things i think the um for a player who doesn't get to play the same title over and over again I'm drawn to starting variability not very in-game variability like 2038 although i do like that game but games where standard openings kind of go away yeah. are are attractive to me because I can play those with experienced players and not feel like I'm behind the curve. Yeah, yeah, I get what you're saying. Although and there's then the same thing that sort of happens with experienced players who, who know how to value them and explain how to value them correctly. I think that I, not, not to say that I'm excellent at it, but I think that I have, I trust my ability to evaluate a board hmm. a little bit more like to evaluate a randomly set up board, I think I could do it um, closer in, I think I could come closer to the experienced players than I could when I'm playing a game that they've played a dozen times and have seen the right. openings. Yeah, once you get past that 10th play or something, you, you get to know some real minutia about the game. Yeah, it's like, well, I know R2 that you can withhold twice with this one and run to there and do this crazy crazy move you can do the the george hudson maneuver blah 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 etc right <laughs> yeah um i don't think i've ever actually seen anybody use that <laughs> no i i forget even what it does and that's in uh 62 i think it's if you don't i'm probably getting this totally wrong so i probably shouldn't even take a guess at it but i think it's if you don't pay out enough to single jump that you can like pay the difference from at your personal holdings or the treasury or something, something like that. You can make up the difference somehow and, and, and cause your stock to go up. Or, yeah, that sounds right. I, I do recall now. And I think that 
I, I think every time I've heard it mentioned, it's like in a game with Randy afterwards, he'll say like, I totally forgot about this. Like I always forget to tell people cause I never see it done or something like that. Yeah. It seems rare. Um, yeah. So that's, that's all the news that we have for 18 XX. Oh no, it's not. Uh, we have a little bit for dot games news. Uh, some new games got released, uh, since the last time we recorded, I think we might've left a few out last time cause it didn't scroll all the way down the bar. Uh, but new games since we spoke last time that were released on there in some form, whether it's alpha, beta, or production, is 18CO, set in Colorado. 1830 uh, got, got, we got permission, or we, they got permission. Hi, Toby, apparently I'm part of your team now. Uh, we're part of the community that, that have just been allowed to play it online. Yeah, Lookout Games got permission, for, I'm assuming through Asmodee for 1830 to go on the site. So that's awesome. Wait, is Lookout Lookout Games is uh, part of Asmodee? I believe so. Oh, okay. I didn't think they were, but you're probably right. Um, I'm actually most excited. I mean, it's 1830, so I'm probably going to get a lot of hate mail for saying that I'm most excited about it being approved because it points towards a likelihood of 1880 getting approved since it's the same publisher. Uh-huh. And that's my favorite game. But it, it's big news in and of itself that 1830 is on there, obviously. Uh, yeah, back in February 9th, the February of 2018, uh, Asmodee acquired Lookout Games in Mayfair. Oh, okay. uh, like everything else. They, they own you, right? Uh, I think they own me. They have a couple shares. Yeah. Um, 1861 <laughs> uh, is in beta. That was uh, no surprise since 67 was already released as of last recording. Um, 18 Mag uh, was an exciting new edition because that's, that's pretty fresh and new and lots of different stuff in there. Um, Scott's uh, 1849 Kingdom of the Two Sicilies. Uh, the new map for 1849 is up there for essentially for playtest, I guess, uh, as well as 1877 Venezuela, which is, it sounds like a crazy variant of 1817 that is like totally unstable and wild. Um, I don't know much else about it than that. A couple more, 1817 and 18SJ in, in Sweden are both in alpha as well. Why'd you skip CZ? I said 17, but I was looking at CZ. Sorry. Oh. 17 was out there. <laughs> I meant to say 18CZ. So is that 18CZ, I'm assuming, is just the full it's map? It's the full map. For it a five-player yeah, to five-player It's game. not okay. a two-player. I don't think they have a two-player variant. Anyways, I, I, I was asking about CZ, obviously, because I, I enjoyed the two-player game. And I also just think it would be cool to have the the little vanilla variant for yeah what is it called the uh the ms variant would would be a neat thing to have on there as like an intro yes i enjoy that too uh, yeah hopefully those will make it there someday probably not a priority for the uh, majority of the xx community no probably not all right shall we lay some tokens sure yeah so uh let's see so i have not really been playing much um i've I don't know if I've said it previously on the podcast, but I certainly talk about it a little bit in the uh, interview with uh, Yaroon. But I have not really been too hyped on online games. I really miss the face-to-face aspect, the social aspect. Uh, So I haven't been playing much, but I did uh, wrap up a game of 1822CA. I think part of the problem is I, I I get myself into these games that are really long in person, and then they take like months online. Uh, so that one took a long time. The CA was cool. I, I don't know that I would play the, uh, not that I wouldn't play it, but I don't think I would be uh, jonesing for a full 1822 in per, CA in person, given all the good things I've heard about the Eastern scenario and 
you know, the fact that that MRS is, is an option too. I think you get a, a lot of the, a, a vast majority of the experience in the, in the shorter scenarios as well. So, um, but it was, a, it was a good experience. It was interesting. There was in our game specifically, uh, there just didn't seem to be, the map was just so wide open. There just didn't seem to be a ton of interaction, at least with my company's and everybody else's like I was I was in my own little corner for 90% of the game. You were down in the southeast, right? Yeah, I was in in between like Buffalo and um and Hamilton. Yeah. I my opening was like sp- literally spending every dollar I started with to get the two miners. Well, so y- and the concession. Yeah, you had a, uh, an interesting opening in that game, right? And it and it played out pretty well as far as I understand, right? It, it actually played out really well. I mean, I can't say I would have won, but I, I made some very critical late game errors um, misreading the map. I actually started a company thinking its starting was its destination. Yeah. And, and I ended up being totally isolated without a route. And I didn't know that you couldn't buy over the permanent two trains between companies. Oh, so that was another big thing. I ended up having to put a six train into a Ouch. company with like a, a really, really crappy route. And um, I didn't come in last, but I also spent a lot of money starting my last companies and and starting a miner in the last set. And that was all predicated on me misreading the map and not knowing about the rule about the 2P yeah. or the permanent two. I'm fairly certain if I didn't win, I would have been very, very close on the heels of the person that ended up winning. I was actually fa- fairly far ahead going into that final stock round um so that was that was kind of disappointing because the game did take so long and largely because of me uh not always taking my turns that quickly but to get that far into the game and then misread the map and miss one rule yeah yeah 22 has a lot of a little minutiae as, as far as the rules is like these can be bought and these can and i think some of that is alleviated definitely some of it is alleviated in person because uh, you were playing online using board 18, right? So, and a spreadsheet, but, you know, a lot of that information is nicely presented on the cards, like the color of the privates will let you know. But, like, I'm not sure if that one, not being able to buy the two over, is necessarily highlighted. Uh, but No, yeah, that one I, I might have gotten wrong a person. There was actually one. So, the destination in the starting thing, that probably would have come up. If we were in person, because yeah. um, you're, you know, you're talking and stuff. But there was one thing that luckily the table undid. Um, it wasn't intentionally done sneakily, but we were uh, bidding on privates and starting companies. And if you've ever seen the spreadsheet, it's very wide. Yeah. In, it's 22 spreadsheets. And somebody had bid on a couple of privates and then realized they went over the cert limit. So they undid something and redid something and... Somewhere it got lost in translation that they had outbid me on the most important private that I had been bidding on. And I absolutely would have bid on it. So we finished the stock round and I'm like, what the hell? Why didn't I have this private? And they were like, oh, I outbid you here right in between where you did something. And then I had like two paragraphs of like retconning things that, that mm-hmm. um, you know, when my cert limit was. So luckily they were like, okay, yeah, that's fair. Like that you didn't see that happening and you obviously would have in person seen somebody outbidding you. Uh, so we went back and I was able to to win it because I had the money to outbid. Yeah. Online specific mistakes are a real bummer, like stuff you would literally never do um, in person, but you do it online can be can be tricky. So and just to comment on your your lack of enthusiasm on playing games online, I get it. And I think that I'm actually seeing a fair amount of people who have put up 
with playing online for the better part of a year and very close to a year at this point. And I think with the end in sight, or at least with vaccines coming out, a lot of people are kind of going, well, I can make it a couple more months and I've given this a fair shake. I'm not really getting enjoyment out of it right now, or you're burnt out or whatever it is on it. And, you know, I think I can just take a pause for a few months until we can play in person. And that is, that's fine. These games are for fun. And if you are not having fun, don't force yourself to play them online and don't feel bad about it. You know, like if you don't enjoy it. So part of my feeling bad about it too, is that, you know, we have people that enjoy listening to the podcast and they, they want us to come out with content. And it's honestly, it's very difficult to find things to say when I'm not actively playing. Uh, So I feel a little bit of an obligation to play games so I can have something to talk about on the podcast. And that's, that's actually caused me a little bit of anxiety that I'm not playing enough to be able to come on here and have meaningful conversations. I think this is a meaningful conversation. (laughs) Like, no, seriously, this one, I mean, it's fine. People will be relating to this. People will absolutely relate to this. Um, Yeah. That they are going to be going through the the same thing. Not everybody and, and to varying degrees, right? But that is valid. It's a valid experience to have. So I support you and not necessarily being super hyped on playing online. That's fine. Um, uh, Thanks. If it's any indication, though, of my commitment to 18xx, I have like 10 games in the shrink on my shelf (laughs) that I've continued to buy games throughout the pandemic, and I cannot wait to get them to a real table. (laughs) So uh, with that said, I mean, you did have a couple other games on this list here. We'll go quickly through. Yeah. So we played 67 on stream, partially on stream, and then finished off stream. Had my own fair share of issues on that one. And 1860, which not because I won, but I love that game. A lot. Yeah. We had a, a bit we had a bit of a rocky start there with um I think you thought it was fifty percent to flow. I made a mistake. But it was sixty. There was something where you where you thought you had enough money to start start your company and I didn't want to help you because I could have bought a share. I wasn't starting a right. company, right? I, so I, I ended up in a position where I couldn't start and I was like, okay, here I, I bought like a bunch of shares in a company and did nothing. And I just sat around for like two hours waiting for enough money to come in to actually start something. Or you would have, but we identified it. I, I My best move was to not help you start the company because you had in my, in, obviously it didn't play out this way, but in, in my mind you had would have been gaining too much of an advantage to be able to do what you did in the auction and then still get to start your company. So I thought it was better to not do that and have you wait a few ORs. Um, But we talked about it and it would have been so devastating to your game that maybe not worth continuing the game. Um, So we actually rewound it and we did start your company. Um, and it turned out to be a very close game yep. through through most of yep. the game. Uh, there was a turning point, obviously, where where I started a bunch of companies and rusted a bunch of trains and, and started to pull away. But for 90% of the game, it ended up that helping you start that company was not a huge advantage or anything like that. So I'm glad we did it. And it was a fun game. I don't know if you had fun. Like, what did you think of the game? I did. I did. I had fun. I, so I, uh, some of that stuff got lost on me with the you know async online play where... For a little while, I forgot that you could run through a token. I think there were some routes early on, but I didn't do that. And trains rusting kind of, you know, it catches you off guard sometimes when you log back in and it's your turn. You're like, wait, a bunch of stuff changed. What happened? You got to go back and read. I like to go back and click through actions, but then if there's a lot of undoing, it, it, un- it makes it difficult for me to watch someone like redo and undo and redo and undo a turn. 
Oh, does it log all that? Yeah. Um, so we've actually put a, I, there's some, been some talk about adding a replay mode that does not do that. Um, so we'll see if they, they implement that. Uh, it would be useful also for streaming if you want to like, if I wanted to do a recap of our 67 end game and just be able to click through without seeing redos, that would be helpful because uh, so. Obviously you can tell that I'm not the type of person that I, I just look at the current game state and try to figure out what happened um, for good or for bad. But you can tell from my response to not knowing that, that I do not click through actions. Probably why I make online only errors. It, it helps if you take the time to look through it for sure, but it's, it definitely is time consuming. So besides that, uh, I guess my stuff real quick, uh, since we are short on time, I have played four more plays of 1867 since the last recording, uh, including that one we streamed. I'm really enjoying uh, my plays of that, and I'm looking forward to trying out 61 now. We're, we're trying to prepare for a strategy discussion on uh, those two games um, with, with someone who's played them a fair amount of times. So look forward to that in the future. And I also finished up my async game of 1817 with the patrons. Uh, it was an, I'd like to say it was an education. I definitely learned a lot, but I also realized that there was an ocean of stuff I don't know. So um, uh, at some point, I'm, I want to walk through that or at least an example game with some of our more knowledgeable patrons who, who are very enthusiastic about the game. And have them explain like what they're thinking on turns because it's very different. It's, it's an entirely different game than most 18xx games that I've played. A couple other ones I played 1849 with some people that I like to play with on Twitter. And that was quite fun. It ended up where I stole a company from someone and then they stole it back from me. And I ended the game with, uh, with no presidencies and still managed to, to win, which was pretty fun. I just had one company in the beginning and then dumped that right as it was running out on someone else and then stole another and just had a lot of shares. So that was cool. Quite like 49. Nice. So you must have, uh, did you maneuver yourself to have a lot of the double shares? Is that how you overcame not having presidencies? Right. I had a couple of double shares. Um, I don't remember exactly. It was just like I found all the companies that I was mostly invested in people who had one presidency so they couldn't shift stuff around but had very profitable mm -hmm. routes and then just bought a bunch of shares of those. So I had like minority shareholdings, but substantial of, of a bunch of companies, but they couldn't move assets around. And the one player I was kind of competing against had a few, but I just stayed away from allowing a dump, a, a retribution yeah. dump. Nice. Yeah, so that was cool. Uh, and then I'm in the, the fourth season of the 1846 League, which has started up, and I'm doing much better than uh, last season in that i'm in group 5d if you want to follow along i'm running the bno in three of my games and i've got the steamboat in all of them and the in the that is just wild the, yeah and the ick in it's just wild oh nice <laughs> sarcasm um uh, i described my my games as wild and johnny was like what imagine using wild to describe 18xx i mean i love 18xx but uh, wild is just not a descriptive uh, descriptor uh, that I would use for 18xx. The one I'm most excited about is I have the the Ick, Steamboat, and uh, Michigan Southern in one game. Which, if you recall, uh, Avery he said the the dream is to have those three um, in our strategy discussion, but it like never happens. What were the three? Uh, it's the the Ick with Steamboat and Michigan Southern. So you can use the Michigan Southern to teleport out of you know the X corner. And then you can steamboat Toledo and hit it a bunch of times and uh, 
and you get the extra capital from the EIC. So nice. I thought the dream was the BNO with tunnel blasting and steamboat. It, it is, I think, maybe less so. I have that combination in another game, so it is. It's wild. <laughs> and that's it. That's uh, that's that's what I've been playing lately. Oh, and and uh, and I got a PlayStation Five, so you know that's something. That's a title of interest I've been playing. Demon Souls, and uh, we got with Nio Two Night Tonight. Neo. I think it's Neo. Neo. Is it Neo? Neo? I, I have no idea. I've been calling it Neo. I yeah. don't know actually. Maybe it is Nio. Yes, that is exciting news. I I have turned uh, very much turned to video games as a um, distraction. As the thing to does is the distraction during COVID, um, and it's been great. Yeah. I am very frustrated with Demon Souls now. <laughs> oh no, Johnny! No, it's so good. Just cast spells from the corner. Uh, <laughs> I yes, I I mean, you know what? I like a challenge. I I feel like I'm usually fairly good at video games, so I I know I'll just get every time I've started a Soulsborne game so far. I have felt like the very beginning is like the hardest thing I've ever done. And then you get to this like uh, inflection point where your build starts coming together and, and things start getting easier, even though I don't think the content itself actually is easier. Yes. It's much harder in the beginning. I just think I haven't hit that point yet. And, uh, and I've, I've people don't want to hear about this, but I put together a build that like 90% of my stat points are not helping me yet. And they'll suddenly it'll click together like late game. Hey, so I'm in for a rough ride. For anyone who likes video games and hasn't played them, uh, if you like train games, you're probably a little bit of a masochist, so you should try the Soulsborne's games. Dark Souls, Bloodborne, Demon Souls. It's all, all good stuff. Well, with that, I'd say let's run our interview with Joran Dahman of Splatterspellen, and we'll see you after the break. Here we are with Joran Dahman of Splatterspellen, one half of Splatterspellen. And if for anyone who doesn't know, Jeroen is one of the two designers who make up uh, one of our favorite board game companies, Splatterspellen. It's a Dutch company that has published games such as Food Chain Magnate, Antiquity, Indonesia, Roads and Boats, Bus, The Great Zimbabwe, and many others. Uh, it's very cool for us to have you on the show, Jeroen. We've been in love with your games for many years now. So thank you very much for coming on to talk with us. Well, s- thanks a lot for the praise and thanks for having me. Absolutely. For those that haven't heard any of your previous interviews or aren't familiar with you or Splatter, would you give us a brief summary of who you are and, and about your company? Yes, yeah, certainly. So I'm Jorin Daumen of uh, Splatterspellen, and we're most famous for making, well, heavy economic uh, board games. I sometimes uh, like to call them economic war games, but not everybody likes that term. It certainly feels that way often. Yeah. It's accurate. Yep. So I do this to get together with Joris Wiersinka. We actually uh, are well o- started over 20 years ago when jo- Joris, Tamar, and Herman uh, des- decided to go to Essen uh, together with Kwali and Psydon. Uh, Psydon no longer exists, as far as I know. Uh, Theo left the board gaming scene. Kone is still designing games. Uh, and... We thought it, it, it would be great to go, go to the show with some, uh, some small games. We wanted to make nice and affordable games because everything was too expensive. So we, uh, we had a bunch of games in little VHS boxes uh, that, uh, that we sold at the show. I think the first show there were seven or eight different uh, new titles. And for the next three years, we had a, a couple, couple of video, uh, video box games, small games. 
I think all of them, or almost all of them, are available uh, on BoardGameGeek uh, as, as print and plays now. Are those those VHS boxes you're talking about the kinds that you'd get from like, well, I mean, I know that you weren't here in America when this happened, but in Blockbuster, you used to get those plastic boxes that would like clamshell open. Is that what you're talking about? <laughs> exactly. Those, because if, if but back then we looked at the cost of producing a game, it was 50 to 100 copies because that's the amount of copies that, that we had and sold. Get, getting a cardboard box was the most expensive part of, of the whole thing. So if we bought a VHS box that was much, much cheaper and we, we could fit all components in there, great. So why not? That is amazing. <laughs> I did not know that. That's so cool. <laughs> it's also like very nostalgic for me thinking about going to Blockbuster. It'd be easy to organize all the games if they were in, if they were in VHS boxes. Yeah, we could fit so many more on our shelves. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Look at the tall games now. They're like... 18 VHS boxes put together. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I should have been s- sitting downstairs and it would be in front of the cupboard that actually has all of them. Uh, oh, it'd be too distracting. <laughs> uh, but at, at that time, we were also working on the well, first prototype of Roads and Boats because that was, I think, the game we started working on first, even though the, it wasn't the first game published. And... I think two essays in a row, we also just brought a prototype, which was a huge wooden box with tons of pieces and clay transporters and whatnot. Everybody would always ask, hey, what's that game? That's, that looks great. That sounds great. We want that one. <laughs> it's got lots of stuff in it. It had tons and tons of stuff in it. So, so one year we made, well, the first edition of Roads and Boats, we made 30 copies by hand, which was really a ton, a ton of work. and sold that and it sold out immediately. It was much more popular than all the VHS box games, all the nice, affordable, cheap games that we wanted to make. <laughs> so much for that dream. <laughs> Almost, yes. So, And you don't do uh, designing and publishing as your, your full-time job. So what do you, what do, you do uh, for work for your full-time job? No, so my, I indeed don't. I very much love designing board games, but I also very much love to have it as a hobby and not be dependent on it for income. Because, uh, to, to be fair, and n- neither does Joris, uh, by the way, but both of us really feel we want to keep polishing a game until it's ready enough to be published. And if you have the pressure that you need to have a new game every year, it's, it's, it's a lot of pressure to be under, and it also leads to the risk of, well, we, we need to get this game out the door now. Maybe it's not finished yet, but it's, we need to have something new to sell. Uh, and that's also not something that we want. So, uh, so in my no- normal d- daily life, I'm, uh, my background is compute in compute- computer security. Uh, so I'm a chief security architect for a new startup uh, called Sandgrain. So we make unique computer chips uh, for a- authenticating IoT endnotes. If that tells you anything. <laughs> It tells some people something. I yeah. think I, <laughs> exactly. But that's not what we're here to talk about. Let's get out of the normal work and into the passion work. Uh, and, and I think that what you said before is a, it's a great quality for your company to have. Um, well, to avoid removing the passion from the passion project, right? If you're if you make it your full time job, like you said, there's there's pressure. You you might have to publish something that's not up to your your quality, or then suffer the economic consequences. For you know, exactly. 
if you do either way, um, holding back or publishing something subpar. So that's great. Keep it that way. It's the way we like it. You're doing great. <laughs> Agreed. Thank you. It's it's also the way we like it, which is yeah. well, the primary motivation to keeping it this way. Right. Um, so you've you've done some interviews in the past with Yoris about Splatter, but we're going to try and keep today's focus on your life as a, an 18xx player, since that's the focus of our podcast, and and maybe touch on what influences it's had on you as a game designer uh, playing 18xx games. So I I believe I remember hearing that your partner at Splatter, Yoris, uh, introduced you, he introduced you to 18xx games. Uh, is, is that right? Yeah, the, uh, yes, definitely. Because uh, when, uh, well, we were both students at Leiden, that's, that's also where we met. We founded the gaming club together. There was no student gaming club yet. Uh, and one of the games he uh, and Tamara li- liked to play was 1830. This was in 95-ish, I think. So 18, 1830 was om- almost all there was. <laughs> right, yeah. as far as 18xx games. As far as 18xx games uh, went, yeah. So what, what was your early, your entry into this niche of the, the hobby like? Did you fall in love with it right away and play a ton of it? Or did it take some time? Like, at least I know for, for me, it sort of took some time to percolate. I was interested, but... Um, you know, was sort of the thing that would never like quite leave my headspace. No, I I immediately lo- loved the genre. I know, I remember some bits of the, of my first eighteen thirty game. I think I started Canadian Pacific uh, up in the north and di- did my own thing there. Everybody else was making more money. Yeah, <laughs> but hey, that, that that's fine. But that was really great, especially the split, and, that, and that's. Uh, Exactly the thing I love about 18xx games, the split between players who operate in the financial market and then the companies who operate in the, well, on the map and on the board and run trains and then actually make money. So what are your, uh, what are your top five 18xx games currently? Um, that's, that's always a hard question because uh, if you ask me tomorrow, the list probably will change. <laughs> that's, that's why we said currently. It's the, la- the last five, your top five is always the last five you've played? <laughs> no, it, no, I, I don't think so. But I think I st- still quite love a- 1841, so in, in Northern Italy. I had one of the game kits from Chris Lawson, so we, I, I, I played it quite early. And I really love the sense of hyperinflation uh, that the that game always gives, uh, gives me. It's like... Last turn you made, I don't know, two hundred uh, revenue. This turn you're making five hundred revenue, and you and you can't do half of it with with that money that you could do last turn. Uh, <laughs> and and of course it was from for me at least the first uh, game to feature mergers and a lot of extra financial shenanigans. Uh, yeah, we've we've heard a lot of talk about forty one, and we have it on order, but we haven't had the opportunity to play it yet. Yeah, sounds like a a brain burner. Yeah, it, it 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 definitely is, and I'm usually too chicken to play the well, accordion strategy, as 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 some as some uh, like to call it, because in in forty one is one of the few games where companies can actually buy shares in other companies. You, you said the accordion strategy. Accordion. Okay. So you have one one company that you own. I don't know fifty percent of. 
Lit company starts, uh, starts company number two, company two starts company number three, company three starts company number four. And it's very tricky to, to keep all of that balanced. And at some point, the tower comes crashing down. But right. Um, okay, so b- besides 41, do you have any other games that you keep in uh, steady rotation or that you have a particular fondness for? Yes, yeah, so odd, a bunch of others. So I play 46 a lot lately. Mm-hmm. Especially with the pandemic and all the lockdowns, Vigo started in a weekly asynchronous game. Yep. So I've, for well, for the last year almost, I've played at least one game a week of uh, 46. Oh, we, we've had the pleasure of joining you in a few of those games um, with, with Joe's group. Were you not playing as regularly with them before COVID? Um, not, 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 not as regularly because I was definitely playing if I was in the area. Yeah, or at at the gathering of friends uh, where I actually met uh, met the group, but n- not yet online. Uh. Right. Yeah, I guess it makes sense that they were mostly playing in person before that. So we that's yes. that's how we came to be able to chat with you and, and play with those uh, everybody in that group, which has been great for us as relative new players um, compared to those those yeah. giants <laughs> of the mind. So <laughs> yes. Uh, Let's see another title. I I much enjoy 1860, so the Isle of Wight, especially if you add in the funky uh, locomotives expansion. Uh, yeah, you know I really like the locomotives expansion, but I feel like I'm the only one. <laughs> so it's good to hear somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's been on a crusade lately trying to get. He's like, so what does everyone think about this? And I, the first time we played, I just wanted to keep things simple and said like, let's keep this out. I can imagine. I don't think it necessarily makes the game better. But it's I, I think it's interesting. I like the little the the notes on the cards that explain, you know, why, you know, one fell in the ocean and stuff like that. I think that's fun and it just adds a little bit of a twist to it. I enjoy it. Exactly. That that's the same for me. And usually well, within other games I play, I tend to dislike well, let's call it edit chrome. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. just little extra rules which almost feel like they're there for the sake of having extra rules. But but for some reason, having these well, historic locomotives and a bit of the story that actually happened to them in this game really fits well for me. Yeah. Yeah. So how about any? Uh, I mean, we've got a lot of titles coming out lately. Some are reprints, and some are newer. Are there any any newer titles that have caught your attention? Um, most of them, I <laughs> guess. I don't, I don't know. Uh, let's see. I I played Tested Eighteen Man a couple of times. On the Isle of Man, I think it's been withdrawn now for well, further development, which I think it it needs. But but there's there's really some great ideas in there, uh, especially the fact that you start with no money and ju- and just a bu- just a bunch of loans that you need to pay a horrendous interest on every round. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I was able to play it twice before uh, before it was pulled for further development, and it, it was interesting. But I could also see it needing a little bit more work. So I'm interested in seeing the uh, V2 whenever that is available for test playtesting. Same for me. And well, also given my love for 46, uh, 1834, well, it's now called 33NE. I had the pleasure to play that twice, I think, from memory. Which is also really nice. Uh, it's effectively a beefed up version of 46, or at least that's how it feels to me. Well... 
in reality, in 46 is a beef down version of 33. <laughs> beef down. I like that. <laughs> yeah. But, right. So a 33 NE is probably, probably my most anticipated new title coming out. So. Me too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I get to play once. Johnny hasn't, but he's he's heard all the hype. Yeah. So I'm conflicted. The uh, 1830s style opening of that game, the initial auction, I really, really, really love the draft in 46 and all of the, I don't know, I don't know if chaos is the right word, but just the variety yes. that you get out of that draft, um, I, I really like a lot. But I'd be interested to see how much of an effect that has on my feelings for 33 any because I, I like the generic framework of the financial system of 46, obviously, and the addition of some of the, the new features on that, uh, the, I forget what they call, what they're called, the, the direct links and stuff like that to where you're trying to take passengers. Yeah. I, I forgot as well. It's been quite a while for me uh, since I played. Yeah. Very anticipated. Uh, so you and yours made a contribution to the 18XX design space back in 2001, uh, which borrows some mechanics from 18xx, but took the game in its own unique splatter direction with, or is it Ur or your? I don't know how to pronounce that. I always pronounce it Ur. Uh, Ur. Uh, 1830 BC. Or just 1830 BC. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the title Ur was actually added uh, on the advice of Francis Tresham, uh, who, whom we met at Essen and talked about the game and that we were working at it. And he advised as well. Uh, Great that you're working on it, uh, but please give it a name and then have 1830 BC as a subtitle uh, right. to avoid any legal problems. Right. So um, I know it's a, been a while since you designed that game, but do you recall like what was your goal? Do you do you have a goal uh, when you went and set up to design that game? Obviously, you didn't want it to be a, a carbon copy because you took it in your own direction, but. Um, just any of your thoughts when you were designing that game, if you can remember any of them? Yeah, definitely, because we wanted to make an 1830 variant ourselves. And I, th- I think the title was the first thing that we came up with. So we said, hey, wh- why don't we make 1830 BC? We can make an 1830 variant. I'm not sure even the whole system was called 18xx already back then. Uh, uh, but have an 18xx set in ancient Mesopotamia and use irrigation instead of uh, trains. And that's that's how 1830 BC came to be. Uh, You'll notice a lot of the things are copied from 1830. I think the train roster, if you can call it that, is almost exactly the same from memory. So I actually just saw yesterday that you granted Toby from 18xx.games permission to implement uh, 1830 BC on on his website. Yes, it's it's always been our policy uh, to to allow f- free implementations of of our games uh, online. Well, so first of all, thank you for that. That is awesome. Um, with, especially with the pandemic, I think everybody just really appreciates publishers and designers letting their work get out there and be used for stuff like that especially dot games is is uh, becoming a, a mainstay uh with it with 18xx gamers um with that and like some renewed interest in the um in the title itself and the explosion of online 18xx in general is there any chance that you're considering a reprint of that game at any point in time um please <laughs> maybe i mean th- there there are no plans currently but but ne- never say never yeah. we would appreciate it 
<laughs> yeah, John, Johnny put pretty please in the, in the show notes. Um, there is interest, so. Uh, but, I'm, really, know, I'm, I'm excited for the opportunity to get to play it online. But uh, if you ever reprint yeah. it, I'll be uh, I'll be the first one in line to uh, to get a copy. Cool. <laughs> yep. So, how has playing 18xx games influenced your game design philosophy? Um, I don't know to be honest. It probably has, because if I look at some reviews and comments, uh, especially about Indonesia, even though we set and we, we set out to make to create a nice economic game uh, or an economic version of the Britannia-like uh, system, so where you have different companies enter enter the game in different eras, etc. A lot of people immediate, immediately said, hey, this plays and feels just like an 18xx game. It's totally not an 18xx game, but it feels just it's like... It's interesting because Eric and I played that before we'd played any 18xx, and I haven't played it since we've played 18xx, so I don't know if I would have had the same reaction or not. Yeah, that's actually... This ties nicely into the, the question that I have following, uh, that spotters and 18xx games get grouped together a lot. In the board gaming world, when uh, I see questions on recommend me a title, here's the games I like, and people will say, well, you might consider uh, an 18xx game or a splatter game, and, and they kind of get put together in the same space. Uh, I'm, I'm wondering what you make of that, and like, why do you think that that is? I have some theories, but I'm curious to, to hear what you think. Yeah, it's, I'd say my, my theory would be that it's they're both fall within, within the category of heavier economic games, uh, and no, I'm hoping a bit about our own games, but also having a simpler rule set with a complex strategic space. And that, for me, for most 18xx games, is also the case. Right. So, yeah, I have written here uh, emergent gameplay, which is sort of... Yeah, exactly. What I mean by that is, is what you said, like, right, a simple basic, basic rule set, relatively simple, as simple as you can make it, and then gameplay that kind of uh, surprises you, considering what little you have to work with as far as rules, hopefully. Um, and then a combination of logistics and economics. So I think a lot of your games feature logistical puzzles like The Great Zimbabwe, where you're trying to move stuff around and point to point, and uh, Indonesia, where you're, where you're moving. Actually, a lot of your games, Food Chain Magnate, has to do with moving, moving things yep. around a map logistically. So I think... All or almost all of our games feature a map or some geographic component uh, in order to make the game more interesting and le less bland. Yeah, why are logistics so fun? What is it? <laughs> Good question. I love them. My, it's funny. I I sit my wife down to to try and play some of these games, and she she's a, a supply chain planner uh, in her professional life, and. She sits down and she goes, oh, I do this is my job all day. I don't want to do this right now. I don't want to move <laughs> stuff around. I'm like, this is the best stuff. Come on. Yeah, that's also often comments that we get on our games. This feels just like work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's interesting, too. There's a, an aspect of your games, 18xx games, that, that we've commented on this before on the podcast, that these games are really fun, but they, they require a certain level of almost stoicism from the player. Like, you need to be able to do some work. You need to put work in to, make, to get the fun out um, and be, be willing to do that. Yes, no, definitely. So have... Um have you considered designing another 18xx game that fits more into the standard framework of what's out there today? 
not really at at this point. Maybe we'll do one at someday. I don't know because especially what well, there's an explosion of new titles and new ideas and well, great great new ideas uh, out there. Yeah. So no working title for your next eighteen XX yet. <laughs> <laughs> we would love to see a, a splatter designed eighteen XX team. It, it probably wouldn't be what you expect, but... Well, that's the best part. Yeah. I mean, I don't want a clone <laughs> of something that's already out there, so... Yeah. yeah. If we could do it, <laughs> if we could expect exactly what we want, then we wouldn't be able to... We wouldn't be asking you for it. So, you were in the group that holds the extremely official speed record for 1846 with Joe Hubert and uh, and Michael... How do you say Michael's last name? Soup. Soup. So, can you tell us about that and, you know, what the, the play times were and how you guys came up with that challenge? I forget how exactly we came up with, with the challenge. Uh, I'm sure Joe Huber saw that up because he has many crazy ideas, <laughs> <laughs> which is always great fun. Um, but it, it was at, at a gathering and was like, how, how fast can we make this? And he said, well, it's 46, so we should be able to play the 46 minutes. Uh, the first time we tried, we almost made it. I think we were 48 minutes and, and something. I have the exact times here. And 1.91 seconds. <laughs> yeah, 48 minutes, 1.91 seconds from Joe. I got the numbers before we recorded. Yes, yeah, Joe Joe had a timer running, so he, yeah. he knows the numbers. I see that play three and four were, were 38 minutes, and I was wondering if one of those was the the recent... You, you guys just did another attempt at breaking the record, right? In the last couple months? Um. Yeah, this... That was more recent, but so the the second attempt was what well, the year after. So we we said, well, we didn't make it this time. Uh, we'll we'll try again, maybe next year. And then we were a little bit more efficient, and we and we actually made it uh, within within forty six minutes with well less than a minute to spare. I forgot what it was forty five. 40 something i think yeah 45 43 <laughs> you had 17 seconds to spare sorry i don't, I don't this feels funny holding gatekeeping this information from you <laughs> <laughs> yes no no problem and and then we said yeah we, we made it so we we then started joking about playing 2038 within 38 minutes oh god or maybe 238 minutes <laughs> i don't know what the proper time would be for that oh that yeah. sounds impossible but uh I, I agree. <laughs> All right, so the challenge is out there. Yep. You guys have a lot more patience than I would have. Because if I finished my first game in 48 minutes and 1.91 seconds, I would have been like, well, it only took 48 minutes. Let's try again. <laughs> I don't think yeah. I would have been able to wait a whole year to try to uh, to achieve the goal. It it was pretty intensive uh, to do so. Because uh, <laughs> I think it was... It, it wasn't in that game, but it wasn't in, in another game that we're, we were playing quite quickly. I think M Michael was running B&O, I think, and East, East West from Chicago without having a token in Chicago. I mean, he could he could have put one there, had the money for it, just didn't do it. And nobody noticed until three hours later. Oh, I see. Yeah. At, at that rate, when you're like going that fast, you're bound to make a couple of mistakes. Probably start to see the uh, smoke. Rising out of the out of your ears, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yep, that that too. But I mean, I can't see it being done with well m more than three players. Yeah, and we we also had well all the tools available, uh, spreadsheets and everything to use. So we had one one player had 
essentially all, almost all the tiles, so he would know or have the op the usual options for tiles already available. So, so you just I, I want that one, that tile, and that tile. So the one person would hand out all the poker chips, and another another player would uh, would run the spreadsheet. Uh, we only paid out all the revenues uh, to players at the end of each OR, which. Yeah. This sounds stressful. The uh, <laughs> the spreadsheet and making payments at the beginning of each stock round is is a game changer. I think uh, in in person yes. games, I I don't think I'd want to play without doing that at this point. It's convenient. Actually, I'm curious, what's your gaming group like as far as eighteen XX over there? Do you have a dedicated group of players that you play with over there specifically, or do you dedicate more of your time towards you know play test and and development? I well have a bunch of gaming groups over here. Most of whom don't play 18xx. Some of them will indulge me uh, once in a while. And a lot of time, I think now every weekend, we've been working on uh, what horses carriage and, and play testing. Right. So that eats up a lot of time. Well, Doc Games is pulling its weight, or, or Board 18, I, I think that you use that still plenty. We, we play on either platform. I, being older and set in my ways, <laughs> or at least as the excuse I always use, Board 18 still has a slight preference for me. Right. Because it's a little bit easier for me to follow what other, what other players have been doing. Uh, and if you need to correct a mistake uh, in the previous OR because you see, hey, I could have ran for 10 more, then it's much easier to change that in Board 18 well, in the spreadsheet than, uh, than it is to do it on uh, .games. Right, but 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 dot games has has gotten a lot better. I think the last three games we played were were in dot games, and if if we play a synchronous game, we just use dot games. Uh, right, yeah, it's it's very convenient. So we're going to peel back a little bit here and ask a, a more philosophical question, I guess. What is it about eighteen xx games that appeal to you? Is there something that you can identify that like what what sets them apart from other games in your mind? Um. I I don't know exactly. They're for me they're less predictable than other games. Also because in some in some sense they, they're they're a bit more volatile to what what players actually do and what companies they start and what price etc. Which track actually gets laid. In a lot of other games, it's more obvious what the best or the better moves are. At least to me. Yeah, the butterfly effect is pretty strong in these games. I yes. I'm trying to put my finger on what, like, you know, we've, I've now played, I'm, I'm something close to my, I'm in my 40th game of 46. They're all the same, right? They're, <laughs> yes, they are all exactly very different. They're all the same in that they are never the same. Um, and, you know, small variations, it's subtle stuff sometimes, but um, it does play out drastically different. And it's the so, you know, it's the same companies and the same stuff, but they, yeah, player decisions matter a lot. And so maybe that's, it's a, for me, I guess, that the game sort of at some point get out of the way and you are just, it's just like mind to mind with the other players and trying to predict what they're going to do and then being surprised constantly. I, I don't know. Yeah, it's also the well, effects of your decisions well, over multiple rounds is more opaque uh, than, than in older strategy games. So. One great thing about 18xx is that the the framework lends itself to experimentation and it's it's well proven. So a lot of people find it easy to dip their toes into designing their own 18xx. As a designer, are there any things in 18xx from a design standpoint that you think require more attention than others? So like, for example, like 
your train mix and tile roster and stock market values when you play a new game are there things that you're looking out for or things that you feel like sometimes um i don't know if they're mistakes but if you if you play a new game is there something that you're looking at to say like you know i I hope they didn't make the mistake that i've seen in another game or the problem that i perceive in some other game i don't know not not really because i don't i don't often see real problems in in designs so they're they they're usually gone by the time I play them. Mm. I and I tend to look at what, what where are the best opportunities, what's what what's profitable, what what are good revenue centers, and, and when when are when are they giving that revenue? So, do you think that eighteen XX games are self balancing in that regard? Like some games. You know, because because so much is on the players to make the decisions. Is it just like we can give you a few um, asymmetric, or maybe like this? These two companies are are really good, and these other three aren't so good, and there's not enough to go around. But it's up to the other players to to deal with that. Like I know in some war games there can be a better position, but then the other players are expected to compensate for that and work together to overcome that. But I I I don't think so. I don't think they're self balancing enough. Uh... But ju- just from some examples, we played 1831 once, uh, which is not another game I really like. Uh, but we forgot to adjust the train mix player count, which you're supposed to do. So we had way too many early trains. And that effectively, well, I wouldn't say it ruined the game because the early game was still quite similar, but the early trains ran, ran for much too long and were much too profitable. Uh, you, you, can't, you can't do just about anything. There is a certain bandwidth you have, you have to stay within. Uh, and there was another one, which one? I, I forgot, I was thinking about, about another one that also didn't completely work. Uh, I, I, I think there was 18 Northwest, which I also played once, uh, where there was a great mechanism where you could just well, b- borrow money from the bank, and that made your stock price drop. And if your stock price dropped too much, your company closed. Uh, which, which was a great effective mechanism to borrow ton- shitloads of tons from shit shitloads of money from the bank uh, for uh, w- with one of your companies. Just have it closed, but then at the last moment, b- buy over one train from your good company for all that money all and money, yeah. it was just handing out free money yeah there are some things that don't really work kind of reminds me of maybe not in the actual mechanisms but the uh in 1860 you know opening up companies to pull cash from them and letting them bankrupt and then restarting them yep but there i think it's well balanced uh, the the way you do it and in northwest or at least the version i played uh, it it wasn't balanced at all yeah, I think in 60, it's uh, one of the things that I don't know if this is one of the reasons it's balanced, not being a game designer myself, but I think the fact that trainless companies sell for half price makes it very challenging to work out the order and the timing to do that in order to get the money out. Because uh, somehow, yeah. some way, you're probably going to lose money unless you can time it perfectly to get a train that's about to rust into a company you're going to sell off or something. It's a high risk proposition. Yep. Yeah, if I if I think of games that just shovel money at you, I always think of coast to coast because uh, you get you earn so much money in there. I've seen it on the table at uh, Total Con, but I haven't played it. 
you should. It's a really fun uh, well, 1870-like uh, game. Where the real challenge is predicting what the uh, certificate limit will will end up being. Because companies merge, companies get nationalized, and for every company that disappears, the, the third limit drops by, by a certain amount. Okay. Well, I'm sure if TotalCon happens, or I should say when it happens next year, we'll probably have an opportunity. I think there'll be a copy there. So I know that you have a very large, or at least you used to, have a very large game collection. Um, uh, I, I still do. I'm assuming you still do, yeah, unless something changed. So the last time I heard a number was, I think, on probably on Heavy Cardboard's interview that you had 3,600 games or something like that. Is that holding steady or rising still? No, I'm at 5,500-ish now, <laughs> or a bit above. I mean, I, I am counting liberally, so I'm counting every, every promo card if it has a listing on BGG. Uh, that is very... Um very different than my philosophy. I put any expansions or promos or anything, I actually put them in the comments section of the game so they don't bloat my uh, my collection on BGG. <laughs> you're just... <laughs> yeah, you're just fooling yourself. <laughs> so am I. I, I, um, I just am hyper-organized in, in, uh, in some ways like that. It, the uh, clutter of having to, to have a list of... Well, in my case, it would only be you know, probably another 50 <laughs> on to my collection, but having that much stuff to scroll through and organize would, uh, would drive me nuts. Uh, you're in, do you, do you have any idea how many of those are 18xx games, like a rough estimate? Do you collect them? There's about a uh, hundred something, 150 ish. I think that's the entire size of my collection. I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, but, but I also have all the 1825 expansions because I bought them when they came out, things like that. So that's, that's already 15 or 20. Uh, and you have all the, all the winsome titles as well? Yeah, I, I, I have all the winsome titles. Oh, that's impressive. So non-18xx specific, do you have a, a game that you would consider your crowning achievement? Or are you always just most excited about whatever the latest game you're working on is? Yeah, the latter. So mo- mostly the, the, the game that we're working on now because that's still fresh and exciting and changing. Mm-hmm. Almost all of the old games, we hardly play them anymore after they're published. Oh, really? Which is one of, one of the reasons we usually don't like to do any expansions, because then we have to play the same games again. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. What's your favorite non-18xx game you know, of all time? Um, oh. <laughs> of, all time, of all time, only one right of answer. All. No, <laughs> or if you can't pick one, like a, a few that that are in your top, you know, games of all time. That's that's a hard question. I think that Dominion is one that I really enjoy, which has ton of variety with with all the expansions. Yeah, there's a lot of those. <laughs> yep, uh, and and my girlfriend really enjoys it as well, so that that helps. Other deck building games. Is Civilization uh, for the old Avalon Hill game uh, is is really a lot of fun if you can ever get six seven people together again. But that's, yeah, yeah. And other than that, let's see four. But I I, I play solo quite some games as well. I enjoyed the Lord of the Rings uh, living card game. Okay, Lord of the Rings card game. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Have you tried? Um, I, I'm an Arkham player myself. Have you played uh, the Arkham LCG? Yes, I I did. Uh, I I didn't like it as much, but mo- mostly because I like well doing the deck building separately from playing through the adventures. 
and the Arkham game gives you, well, let's, let's call it experience. After each play, you get to change your deck a little bit. Uh, yeah, right. And I didn't like that mechanism as much, both because well, you only get to change your deck a little bit. That, that can be okay, but, but also I want to change my deck before I start playing, not after I've played. Your, uh, your answer's uh, a bit surprising to me. I, I just, I guess... I guess I expected like a, a heavy economic Euro game to be in your top. You know, I didn't, I guess I didn't expect deck builders and stuff like that to be. <laughs> yeah, pr- probably as well. Uh, but well, my, my girlfriend uh, re- really enjoys deck builders. So those, uh, those bubble up uh, automatically. I, I don't have Dominion. I have uh, some other deck builders. I also enjoy them, but I can uh, never get them to the table ever. I had uh, Marvel Legendary for years Nobody ever wanted to play that. I've had Aeon, Aeon's End on the, the shelf for a long time. The people I game with just don't want to play deck builders. <laughs> yep. We, we also played through a lot of legacy uh, games together. Uh, we loved uh, Pandemic Legacy, mm-hmm. uh, well, se- Season 1 and 2. We still, ha- we still have to go through Season 0. It's, but it's on the table next to me. Uh, yeah, we haven't done 0 or 2, but I really, really liked 1. Pandemic is not among my favorite overall games, but Pandemic Legacy Season 1 was one of my favorite gaming experiences going through that whole campaign. It was a lot of fun. Yes, same for me, and Season 2 was much better. Okay, we'll have to try that sometime. Because for me, Season 1, I really... Well, hope I'm not giving too much spoilers here, but I, re- I really liked it up to... August, September, because then the last new game mechanism is introduced, and the last four, well, four or five games don't have anything new in game mechanism-wise, but but well, story-wise, of course. Mm-hmm. Right. And I I found that a little bit of a letdown. Well, in in season two, that's spread out more evenly. Uh, okay. Yeah. Well, I think that what what you were saying, John, is that's. It's refreshing uh, and maybe encouraging to people that you don't, even if you are an enjoyer of heavy games, that you don't need to necessarily pigeonhole yourself into that. And, you know, even Yeroen, who designed a lot of these heavy games uh, for us, still enjoys taking the easy road every once in a while and, or even often playing, playing easier, lighter games with people too. And yeah, it's nice to have a balance. Definitely. I, I also play a lot of the other Heavy economic games, uh, played Barrage. Uh. So I have not played either 1830 BC or Barrage, but I, in preparation for this, I went and learned the rules for 1830 BC. And like I said, I haven't played Barrage, but it sounds like maybe I'm curious if they were inspired by the way that your water trickle down thing happens in, in 1830 BC. Because from what I've heard about Barrage, it's Possibly. a lot of the water trickle down like you're trying to get it at the top before and starve other people's yep. economies and stuff. It, it seemed like there were some similarities there, so I'm curious about that. There definitely are. Uh, I, I don't know if they were inspired by 1830 BC or not. Uh, well, it's something that happens to me every once in a while. I'll get like a random idea for like, oh, it would be cool to make a game that has this because I have... I have about this much inspiration for like trying to put a game together, but I know how much work it is and I don't have how little time I have to try it. And I'm like, well, I, I sort of assume that all of these ideas have already been done and, and implemented. And I know that's not the case, but it seems like every once in a while there's like, well, yeah, that game existed. You just didn't know about it. 
since we're not uh, posting this up with video, that was about uh, half a centimeter worth of inspiration. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> is, is that something that you worry about when you're designing a game? Like, has this already been done before and I don't know about it? Yes, to be honest. Luckily, I play really a lot of games, so I know about a lot of things that are out there. Yeah. But when we design games, we often try to start with a new mechanism uh, that, that, that hasn't been done before. It's even before we start thinking about well, what the rest of the game is going to be shaped like. It's interesting. With, with so much knowledge of what's out there, I would think sometimes it might actually be hard to not inadvertently have some of that stuff leak into your designs. Yeah, uh, true. But it, it actually often goes the other way around because Joris will come up with an idea and say, well, let's, let's do this and this. And I'm like, nah, game A and game B already did something like that. Yeah, you're in his encyclopedia. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes, but sometimes also a bit, a bit too blocking uh, because e even if you start off with something that's already been done before, you can, you can modify it just so uh, that it's, it turns into something uh, completely new. Yeah, it's kind of like that... Uh... I don't know what's the, what's the old adage about there's only there's only like 10 different unique stories in the world or whatever but they're all just reorganized rewritten in different ways or something. I don't I don't know if that really applies to gaming but but maybe in some to some extent. Well sure. <laughs> I think that playing a game and being inspired by it and trying to riff off of it. I mean that's the whole basis of 18xx basically is that people tried it and said Oh, I want to experiment with this and basically carbon copy it, but change like three rules and see what happens. I think there's merit in that. It works really well with 18xx in particular because a lot of the differences in how a game plays out are very subtle. So changing a very minor rule uh, can result in a pretty significantly different experience. It definitely, or, or only just changing the map uh, and keeping all the rules the same. Right, right. Yeah, that's something that's I'm surprised there hasn't been more just like expansion maps for games but like uh oh what uh, scott's doing a new 1849 map just on a whim isn't that what uh was it it's not not 25 that did a bunch of maps or there was something in the 20s i thought 25 or 29 one of those did did a bunch of like yeah northern unit and stuff like that and i, I haven't played any of them 20 well both 29 and 25 have have a bunch of maps but they, they all interconnect so you can play them uh together and then you have the whole of uh, the UK. Oh, that's yeah. cool. Well, in England, Wales, and Scotland, but... Uh, okay, so we have one more question before our patron questions on the books anyway. So you shared recently with Heavy Cardboard that your next game to be published is going to be called Horseless Carriage, and that's in final development now. Uh, is there anything that you'd like to share about that game for the folks who are listening? Because I'm sure there's some interest. <laughs> I, I definitely hope there's some interest. Uh, no, we're, we're very enthusiastic about the game. It's, it's a game about, well, development of the early uh, car industry, automobile industry. Really the time where people started putting engines on carriages that before then were drawn by horses. So there's a rapid pace of innovation. Uh, I mean, at some point there's, there's this nice innovation that's called a break uh, because it's it's, it's useful to be able to break your car uh, instead of having to tie, tie a tree behind your car when you're going downhill. Uh. <laughs> was, sorry, is that a real thing? Yes. <laughs> yes, it is a real thing. 
because because there were races across long distances and some part was downhill and then you need to be able to slow down your car so you just took a tree and tied it behind the car so it's wow slow <laughs> and then at some point somebody invented the brake which is great <laughs> compared to a tree yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly but but any, anyway, so players run their factories, uh, which can produce cars with uh, different features according to whatever the market demands. And, and, and there's a market where consumers well, l- look for features like well, safety, reliability, speed. And in each turn, there's two different features that are highlighted and then sold often by the market at the end of the turn one of them gets swapped out for a different one so the market is completely different uh, the turn after cool thanks for sharing we know a little bit about at least what what version one looked like so uh, things have changed considerably uh, by now but well, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing uh to seeing the development we i think it's been i don't know what like six months since since we played an earlier version of it i forgot when exactly but yes we should we should play again yeah Definitely. I am all, I'm all for it. Let's do it. Yeah, let's move on to some patron questions. So uh, this one's from Garrick. Uh, the idea of the 18xx game that can be played in two hours and serves as a good introduction for new players is often considered the white whale of 18xx game design. What would be your approach to capturing that whale? It's, it's, it's a good question. Uh, I remember from my student days when we had two we had two hours left before i don't know we came, needed to catch the train or some train back or something uh, and we said oh we really want to play 1830 but we only have two hours sure let's do it and we we, we made it relatively comfortably by by just agreeing that you were able to think uh, on other people's turn for what your next move would be and when it's your turn just just do a move and that that worked perfectly to finish the game in 90, 90 minutes to two hours, uh, something like that. But 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 not, nowadays I would probably take forty six uh, because for for me it's it's a really good intro game, uh, even if it's a slightly different branch, if you will, than the eighteen thirty style games. Yeah, in in terms of um, you know, a lot of people say eighty nine or forty six as, as intro games or, or a few of the other ones. But as a player who started with no veterans at the table to help us along, both of those games were incredibly long for first time <laughs> for first time games. I can't imagine five yeah. to six hours yeah. long each, six um, and then five respectively. So I do agree that those are, are very good recommendations for teaching somebody a game. That can be quick, but I don't think I've seen a an actual two hour eighteen xx intro game out there. You mean for entire a table of entirely new players? Yeah, like I don't think that exists yet. If it ever will, yeah, I, I, I remember we had well be, back in the day when eighteen thirty BC was, uh, was published. We had a Norwegian shop that sold. A whole, a whole bunch of copies and kept ordering them because they, they used 1830 BC as an, an introduction game to teach, to teach players uh, 1830 style games because they said, well, you get to learn all the dirty tricks in uh, a much shorter time frame. We'll have to test that out when uh, when it comes to doc games. There you go. We didn't, <laughs> didn't realize we were opening you up to some self-promotion, but there it is. That's for free. <laughs> 
<laughs> Sorry, <laughs> it's it's really hard to even uh, to even gauge that after. I mean, we're we're not even that experienced, but but we can play some of these longer games in you know much shorter time frames than when we started. It's it's hard to gauge if a game succeeds at that without putting it in front of a table of all new players and saying we're not gonna yeah. we're not gonna help you out because you know even you know we played Poseidon and I think that you know that's very different in a lot of ways, but it's still 18xx or 18xx light and. We were able to play that very, yep. very quickly, but I don't know if it had been our first game if we would have been able to play it very quickly. Yeah. Um, and I don't I don't know a good way of gauging that without just getting a group of new players and plopping it on the table in front of them. I, th- I think that's the only way, just take, re- really take a group of new players. And I, I don't know if 18 Chesapeake would serve, because I also definitely like that game. It, it, ha- it has enough teeth, uh, and it's also easy enough to grasp, uh, I think. But again, I've only played with experienced players, so right. I don't know. And if you played with new players, you'd be the experienced one moving it along. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The the answer, obviously, is just have more 18xx players everywhere so we can all just play with the new players and speed things up for them. Yes, we need to find that uh, infinite supply of... We're generating it right now. <laughs> but, but, but also, if you look at other games out there, they're also getting... There's a bunch of more complex economic games out there that's great stepping stones toward 18xx. So I, I think new players are being trained by those already. Yeah, yeah, and I think there's a lot of a lot of um, transferable skills too. Like even something as simple as learning to think about your turn while other people are taking their turns. And the more complex games that you play and the longer games that you play, that becomes more necessary. And so even if you've never played an 18xx, if you've played a lot of these other heavy games where you really can't wait until it's your turn to start thinking about it. That translates in this in the time saved in 18xx as well. Definitely. Yeah. As as the hobby grows and more people get in, the the base of players for heavy economic games is also growing and and the desire really like this all comes down to appetite, I think, for new players. Um they need to want to play it and so you need to actually have people who are interested and otherwise it's just going to be miserable. So So our next question we, we sort of touched on this a little bit earlier. Uh Stefan asked what do you like better, a first-time play or a repeat play? Usually a first-time play, because uh, I think also w- one of my mottos is I'll play any game at least once. <laughs> I have a sim- I have a similar uh, adage. Uh, yeah, mine, mine's I'll play anything twice because I've had too many bad first experiences where I went mm-hmm. back to the game and turns out it needs a second play. Yeah, that, that, that's, a, that's a whole different topic uh, because I, I agree with you, there's not enough games actually get the second player, get a, get a second chance. Or Yeah, it's incredible. If you look at the, the stats out there, the, the number of people that play a game even, I mean, probably twice, but, but I know that, you know, if you were to look at a list of people's collections and how many games have more than five or ten plays, it's probably a very, very small percentage of people that play their games that many times before essentially retiring them, uh, us included. Yep. <laughs> Uh, oh, I'm, I'm definitely guilty of that. <laughs> so you've been playtesting your new game designs in TTS because of the pandemic, and that's removed in-person playtesting as an option. This is a question from Mike A, by the way. Um, how has that impacted the process for you? Are there aspects to online playtesting that are beneficial to you that you'll try and keep using moving forward or try to learn from what you're able to return to in-person playtesting of new stuff afterwards? after the, the corona times? Um, I don't know. I 
on, on the one hand, I really miss in-person playtesting. Uh, partly because the, 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 so, the social interaction, also because there's more focus on, on, on the playtesting itself and more time for discussions before and afterwards or during lunch, uh, during lunch breaks and something like that. Because we don't do that in, in the online uh, playtesting anymore. On the other hand, it's, it has definitely been great to have an online version that we can play with more more people uh, more easier right. without them all having to travel uh, to what Leiden, Eindhoven. Uh, I mean, we've definitely appreciated the, the fact that you're doing it on TTS because we get to yeah participate. Yeah, ex- exactly. That, that, that also helps us a lot. Uh, Do you think you'll continue to to use on, uh, online platforms for playtesting when we have a return to in-person gaming? Maybe. I I really don't know yet uh, because it's also some amount of work to actually put, put everything in TTS and keep it up to date with well, a physical prototype. Because so wh- wh- one of the things it's often much easier in a physical prototype even mid-game, if you say, well, this this isn't working, uh, it's, it, it, instead of, I, I'm, I'm just making up some numbers here, instead, instead of $5, this thing should should be worth uh, $3, but way too much, then you you just take a pen, you cross out the 5, and you write in 3. Uh, it's a bit harder to do that on TTS uh, Live. I would have thought that iterating a, a digital prototype would be easier than iterating a physical prototype, but I guess depending on the magnitude of the changes, it certainly could be easier to to do it with physical copy? It depends because we have, we often have waves of iteration in, in a sense, and that we have a, a certain idea that we're testing out, see, seeing how it works. So we make sm- smaller refinements to optimize that idea. And at some point we'll say, well, this isn't working as well as we wanted. So we just throw out half of that idea or all of the idea, put, put in something else and is start start working there and see if stuff improves. So it's 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 really this wave life motion of well, b- big change, small change, smaller change, smaller change. No, we're not happy yet. Uh, we throw out half, then start uh, well, not from scratch, but start all over at the bottom again. It's also interesting to, to hear you talking about, even though it could be iterations aside. Digital playtesting can be an efficient way to get the game out there and get lots of plays of it. But it's interesting to hear your your take. And I'm sure the fact that you're a hobbyist rather than a professional, that the social aspect of doing in-person playtesting is is so important. I obviously don't design games or, or playtest a lot of games. But for me, I've found that even though I could get a lot more plays in during COVID if I wanted to, that the the lack of being across the table from somebody and having a drink and chatting and things like that uh, takes away a lot of the enjoyment of playing games for me. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the same for me. And that's also one of the big things that online playtesting is, is lacking for me is I, I can't look at the person and see whether they're enjoying the game or not. Yeah, it's hard, much harder to read the room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, we have, we do, yes, we have cameras. It does help. It 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 it, def- it definitely helps, but it's just a tool. It's not not everything is visible. Absolutely, yeah. it's no it's, substitute for the real thing, for sure. Yeah, exactly. I find it a little bit. One thing that throws me off with with webcams is that 
nobody's ever making direct eye contact because everybody's looking at the thing on their screen rather than the camera. So you're never actually looking at each other yeah. like you are in person. Yeah, yep. that's a problem that I wish was easier solved. Like just embed a- You need the camera yeah. in the center of yeah. the image yeah, of the player. Yeah, it needs players. to be right in, in where you're <laughs> looking. Um, yeah. Yes. And, and obviously just on commenting on, you know, I'm sure the difficulties uh, perceived- with playtesting digitally, especially with TTS, is that there is a, a learning curve and some of the people you might want to play with might find that as a barrier or not know how to use it very well. And and there's lots of little tips and tricks that, that can hamper things. Whereas everyone knows how to pick up something and move it on a table. Mm-hmm. Yep, definitely. Yeah, so that, that's all the questions that we had for you, Jeroen. Is there anything that you want to mention on the podcast, things we haven't talked about that you'd like to, to talk about uh, before we go? Um, I don't think so. So many thanks for having me. It was really enjoyable. It was our pleasure. Yeah, our pleasure. Yeah, thanks for thanks for joining us. Uh, we appreciate it, and uh, we maybe hope to have have you back sometime in the future. We will find. Uh, well, when we cover eighteen forty one, we'll we'll bring you on and talk strategy. <laughs> <laughs> if if I know any strategy, well, you got the one as accordion. You should you should ask Steve Thomas or someone like like him. Okay, I guess that's it. Cool. Yep. Well, thanks again. Thanks, Jeroen. And we're back. Uh, so, all right, let's pay or withhold. I guess we're going to, like we usually do, we're going to half pay. We don't have anything scheduled definitively, but uh, now that 6167 has arrived, we'll try to get a two-player live stream at some point in this hopefully not-too-distant future. Yeah, there's a two-player version of that game that came in the rules there, so we want to give that a shot. I also wanted to put out a request for anybody listening we talked about upcoming episodes, uh, episode topics. We talked about doing a 6167 strategy episode. And we have, we have someone in mind for, you know, an expert, a quote unquote expert to come on and, and talk that with us. I'd also like to do 1860. And I actually don't know who would be a good source. So, you know, who's played a ton of this that would want to come on. So if anybody has any leads, if you want to come on the show and, and talk about it, if it's your favorite game and you just, can't talk enough about it. We'll have you on. Cool. All right. Uh, listener question. What game do you most want to hear discussed on the podcast for a strategy guide or for just... That question frightens me. No? No? It's a bad one? No, no, no. It's a good question. It frightens me because I have a feeling I know what the answer is going to be. You think it'll be 17? No, I think it'll be 30. Oh, 30. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How about that? What, what game, uh, you know... Do you want us to experience that you feel like, you know, I, I feel like we, we've settled into a little bit of a, a happy space within 18xx games and what the kinds that we like to play. Uh, what game do you wish that we would experience and then and discuss on the show? If you have an opinion on that, let us know. Sounds good. Hey, everybody. Future Eric here brought to you by the magic of editing. I have a shameful confession to make. I'm not prepared to continue my train fact for George Pullman this week, but I'm so excited about getting this episode out that I want to release it, and I'm just going to take a rain check and postpone the George Pullman fact until next episode. This has taken me quite a bit of time to edit, and I want everybody to get it in their ears uh, as soon as they can. So rather than delay, I'm just going to continue to research and find out more awesome stuff about George Pullman. I'm sorry. I know you're all here for the train facts. You've been listening to Train Shuffling. We've been your hosts, Eric Hyden and Johnny Hollander. If you want to get in touch with us about anything we've said in this episode, we can be reached by email at trainshuffling at gmail.com, on Twitter at trainshuffling, on our hotline 
1898. And if you want to support the show, visit patreon.com slash train shuffling. Thanks. Okay. Oh, Shmoo. Hi, Shmoo. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love Shmoo. Um, Hi. <laughs> She's cute. <laughs> yeah, everybody, everybody hears you. <laughs> this is the last stop on this train. Everyone, please leave the train. Thank you for riding with MTA New York City Transit.